Well, good morning, everyone. As we uh, get ready to embark upon a new series for our Advent season, um, what I want to do is, is take a couple minutes to introduce our series, and then we'll take a couple minutes to introduce our sermon, and then we'll dive right in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, um, verses 22 through 35, which is on pages uh, 1594 in the Church Bible. But before we dive in, and our series, this this Advent series uh, season, excuse me, is called Turn Off the Dark. And the idea of Turn Off the Dark came from a book that I was listening to by Pastor Levi Lusco. And some of the some of the ideas and things that we're going to go through over the next couple of weeks are, are indebted to, to him and some of his uh, studies. But what he shares is this idea of how he went to... Um, he went to Broadway years ago, and there was a Broadway musical from Spider-Man uh, called Turn Off the Dark that came out about five, six years ago. And it's, the, the phrasing struck him when it came to the terminology, because if we were to think of there being darkness in a room or darkness around us, and we wanted to be able to see, what we would instinctively say is, hey, can somebody turn on the light, right? Like, we want to add the light into a dark place. And so he was talking about this idea of, but instead, I don't know why Spider-Man's called Turn Off the Dark. I tried looking up things and it was very confusing. Um, so I didn't worry about that. But here's the thing, is we are living in a dark world, a world with difficulty, with trials and tribulations and struggles and pain and guilt and woundedness and fear. And, and there's a lot of things that, that really can if we turn our attention on the things around us, we might be overwhelmed or at least, or at least uh, aware of the darkness around us. And, and the idea of, again, just saying, okay, turn on the light, turn on the light, and then we'll be able to see what's going on. But, but what Levi Lusco says, Pastor Levi from Fresh Life Church in Montana, what he talks about here is this idea that the darkness of the world that Jesus came into it's just like how we still are living inside of a dark world, that there is still pain, there is still heartache, there is still struggle, there is still difficulty, there's still guilt, there's still fear, there's still loneliness, there's still brokenness. I mean, this is something where the same message that they needed to experience with the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago is the same message that we need to know and to take hold of in our world today. Because the truth of the matter is that although there's darkness around us, darkness is is not the end of our story. That we see that Jesus is the light of the world. And he came into this world to show us how to overcome darkness, how to make it through this dark place, and to have hope in the midst of it. So in our Advent series, we're going to look at several ways in which Jesus came to turn off the dark in our lives and to bring us hope, peace, joy, and love. Levi Lusco has a quotation I want to share with you. He says that turning off the dark is precisely what Jesus Christ came to do. He's the light of the world and darkness has no choice but to flee from the presence of the light. There is no technical thing as darkness. It's not a physical thing. But there's just the absence of light. So where there is light, by definition, there cannot, cannot excuse me, be darkness. 
So instead of the idea of turning on the light, Jesus, the light of the world, has already come into our world. And because of that, he is the light. So by his very mere presence, he's not turning on the light because he's always been light. He's always been life. He's been with them, with God, throughout creation from the very beginning. So it's not like he's all of a sudden new. But what he's doing is coming into a dark place. And by his very presence in the world, as the light of the world, darkness must flee and darkness has been turned off. And so we're going to take the next four weeks to talk about turning off the darkness of despair or the darkness of fear or the darkness of guilt or the darkness of loneliness and instead how Jesus' very presence in this world and prayerfully and truthfully his very presence in our lives changes despair to hope. It changes fear to peace. It changes guilt to joy and it changes loneliness to true love. And so for us to be able to have these moments together over the next four weeks in order to talk about how God, through Jesus, has turned off the darkness in our world if we allow his presence of the light of the world to come into our hearts and our souls. And when we do that, darkness can't help but flee. Let me be clear. Does that mean that we will never experience hard times? Of course, we will still experience difficult times. But we can either experience those difficult times surrounded by despair and darkness, or we could experience those difficult times with the light of the world right by our side. So it's not that we won't face them, but we'll be facing them with the face of Christ next to us. So what I've shared before, and, and I've, you know, it's not a new story for those of you that have been with us for a while, but, but when I was in high school and middle school, middle school, second year, second part of eighth grade, through high school, second semester of senior year, um, I struggled with depression. I was suicidal. And, and my world, I wouldn't have used this terminology, but it was filled with despair. It was, it was through the pre preparation for this message that I learned that despair literally just comes from the two words without hope. And so this is hopelessness to the nth degree, not just I'm having a bad day, but it seems like I'm having a bad life and I don't know what to do with it because it seems like there's no way out of it. And so I remember... There's a, there's a scene in the movie, uh, The Incredibles, and in the scene of the movie Incredibles, um, it's a moment in which Mr. Incredible, who's the, 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 the dad of the family, and he's this hero, um, he goes in, he finds out all this information about the bad guy's plan, because for some reason, the first password they always do always works. Um, and so they end up watching that, they put in the password, he sees the whole plan, and then all of a sudden, there's like a little homing mechanism, or like a GPS that's like on his suit. His wife, not knowing where he is, which is... Bad communication. We did a marriage series a while ago. Let's work on it. But being able to not know where he is, pushes the button. Then all of a sudden, in the room he is, it starts beeping on his, on his um, suit. And then there's these rows of cannons that start lining up on either side of this room. The room turns bright white. But then there's these cannons that shoot these black like blobs that keep growing. And he can't shake them off. And so he sees all the cannons. He sees that he's got to run however far it is into the exit. And so he starts to try to run but the cannons start blaring and firing and every time he gets hit he can't shake it off he just starts to beeline for the exit but as he's doing the, can the cannons go faster they fire more quickly all of a sudden those blobs those black whatever they are they start growing and growing and growing and then all of a sudden he lies down and the weight of that darkness is so firm upon his back that he cannot get up he falls to the ground and everything fades to black and 
I use that as an example because that can be how despair feels like. That there are these canons and there's these, whether it's like what people think of me or what am I going to do or how come I look at everybody else and their life is fine and, you know, the finances aren't what we wanted, the career isn't what I wanted, the marriage isn't what I wanted, the family isn't what I wanted, nothing's the way I wanted and I get discouraged and this, and this cannon starts firing at us and all of a sudden we can't shake it off, we can't get through, it fires faster and stronger and the more we try to beeline towards the light, if we are not careful, the despair can weigh us down so much that the darkness overwhelms and everything fades to black. And that can be, that, that pictures, or that it gives us a picture of how my depression felt. And it may be how many of you might be feeling in this very moment. I remember my teacher, we were at a Catholic school and, and she, you know, she's like, we know God has a plan for your life. But the despair was so thick, the darkness was so real that my, my understanding of what was hope, I had no hope. So my understanding was, you know, this is all there is, and I'm just depressed, and I don't understand why I'm here. And I remember she's like, you know, God has a plan for your life. And, and because I was so weighted down by darkness and despair, I just looked at her and said, well, what if, it's, what if it's God's plan for me to die? Now, is it God's plan for me to die? No. But can despair and darkness be so real that we could be distorted into thinking that, or we can be moved into thinking that that's the truth? If we're not careful, if, 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 we, if we're not aware of the fact that despair can take hold, I mean, this is a real struggle that I've had, that many of us have had in this room as well. And so we want to combat that with what Jesus did because he came as the light of the world. John 1, 1 through 5 says that in the beginnings was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So our main point this morning, in light of all these things, is that despair darkens our lives. So we only focus on the things of this world, what other people have, what we want, where we're lacking. Hope helps us focus on Jesus and turns off the dark of despair. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much that you are here. I pray, Lord, that all of us that are in this room or maybe listening online later, that we would all experience your hope, that we would all know that you are with us, that we would take hold of the message of Christmas, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and that because of that, no matter how dark the world is around us, that Jesus, by your very presence in our lives, you've turned off the dark. And by your very presence in our lives, we can have hope when despair seems to be so real and darkness so thick that everything seems to fade to black. But may we cling fast to the hope we have in you as a small flickering flame to hold on to in the midst of the darkness. So, Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 for our sermon this morning, and we're going to be in verses 22 through 35. And as we do, we're going to be looking at the story in which Joseph and Mary go to present Jesus to the temple. And there's a man named Simeon that we're going to learn about, who when the world around him or the Jewish culture around him could have easily given into despair, he held fast to hope. And we're going to unpack what that looks like for a couple moments together. But in your notes, before we begin reading, the first part of your notes in your handout says, to move from despair to hope, we must wait on God, not passively, but actively. 
must wait on God, not passively, but actively. Let's read the scripture together and unpack this. Verses uh, Luke 2, 22 through 27. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. So here's, how it, here's what we see. That Simeon was waiting actively for the consolation or the comfort of the Lord to arrive. That the Holy Spirit had revealed that he was going to be able to have that relationship to see the Messiah, that he was going to last long enough. But there is a difference between a passive waiting and an active waiting. The best example I could think of is that this past Wednesday on November 27th, we celebrated my daughter Shaylin's eighth birthday. And so uh, we had a great day. It was a wonderful time together. But I remember the night before uh, her birth because I remember we were watching, Steph and I were watching the A-Team with Liam Neeson. And we were enjoying the movie and kind of the movie ended. And then she comes out and says, you know, it's time. And so we we go, okay, we're ready to go. But when when you're expecting a child... We know that there's this difference between passive waiting and active waiting. Passive waiting is when you know you're, you know, you know you're expect the child and maybe, maybe the baby, the due date is still seven months away. Like you know it's coming and you know you're trying to rest and you're trying to, you know, take care of yourself and all those things. You know the baby's coming, but it's not, it's not something that is like, is, is imminent, right? It's going to happen at some point. And so it can almost just be like, hey, you know, we're waiting for it to happen. We know it will, but we just don't know when. And so, you know, we're just kind of passively waiting for the time to go. But then there are those times when you get to like, you know, month eight and getting closer and closer that all of a sudden it's like, this can, this can happen at any time. This can happen at any moment. And so you're no longer just passively, oh, you know what, I, I guess we're going to have a baby at some point soon. You're like packing your bags. You're making sure that you have all the, the snacks that you might want, all the things you might want while you're in there. Uh, you might make sure that you have the right outfit for your baby in order to take the inevitable first like Instagram post photo. Like You have all these details. Like You want to be actively prepared for the coming of the child in your life. And there's a difference, again, between passively, it's going to happen, to actively, it could happen anytime. And when we think about hope, when we think about Jesus, when we think about the relationship we have with him, we may be in a point where we say, hey, listen, I know that God loves me, and I know that he will love me, and I'll, I'll come to know him at some point. Or maybe we'll say, hey, I know that there's hope for heaven, but like that seems so far away. Like I'm not even thinking about that right now. Rather than having, having heaven be right in front of us what, the way that, or, or rather shaping the way that we live our lives, it could be like, oh, it's someday, possibly sometime. In the same way when we have a baby or when we're ready expecting a baby, it's like, okay, that may happen at some point in the future. But Henry Nouwen tells us about this idea. We can't just be, rather, sorry, Levi Lusco before that talks about how hope is something that is active. He says, hope is a confident expectation, a joyful anticipation, an active, dynamic, energizing enthusiasm. The idea that it has to be active. 
that it's not something we could passively hope. We have to actively wait on God, actively be prepared like Simeon. When he heard, he's like, okay, imagine him saying, there's gonna, someday I'm going to meet the Messiah child. And so every time a baby comes with their family, he's, oh, is, is, is this him? No, okay, no, no, that's not him. Oh my gosh, is, is, is this going to be the time? Is it not? No, it's not this. And there's an act of waiting and pursuing. And then in verse 27, when it talks about how Simeon was moved by the spirit, he went right into the temple courts and he obeyed right away. That Simeon, he was devout. He was following the Lord. And when God moved in his heart, he moved in obedience to God. It was no waiting. There was no fear. There was no, well, what if it doesn't work out? He's like, God, I'm so anxiously waiting for the child to come. In the same way that parents can be anxiously waiting for their child to come, that they're on their tiptoes waiting. He says, is it now? Okay, I'm going now. And yet, for us, there are times in our lives when God may be telling us to move, but we fail to move on that hope. Why? Maybe it's because we're afraid that what if the hope, what if what we think is going to happen doesn't happen? And so we're so afraid of stepping out in hope that we miss all opportunities to experience hope. Because we feel like, well, if I don't want to have my hope extinguished. I'll just passively wait for it to come. But if we don't lean into it actively, dynamically, ener with energy and enthusiasm, we may miss on that confident expectation of hope in our lives. We've shared before that hope is not a wishful thinking. Hey, I hope you have a good day. I hope you get to eat tacos for lunch. I hope you get to be able to, you know, get the Christmas presents you want. It is not a wishful thinking. Hope is a prayerful trusting. He is the anchor of our souls, Jesus is. And so he is the hope upon which we build our lives. We don't have a wishful thinking faith. Like, oh, I sure hope Jesus is who he says he is. No, no, we have a prayerful trusting of knowing God's word, knowing who Jesus is, and in so doing, when we face trials, we can have our faith and our hope anchored in who Christ is. That we see here that, <clears throat> Henry Now, and here's the quotation I want to share, that active waiting means to be present fully to the moment and the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment. Imagine having that mindset of actively waiting for God to answer prayers or actively waiting to use God in your life to share about the faith of what you the faith you have in Jesus to those around you. Imagine having that kind of hope for heaven. Even if it feels so far away, we know that it could come more quickly than we could even imagine. And so we think this idea of actively waiting of being fully present with God, fully present with people and saying, God, if you are moving my spirit to do something, to talk to someone, to share with someone, to go somewhere, to donate to something, then I want to be so present to you, Lord, that I want to be actively moving. You say move. I don't say how far or when I just go. And so we say this idea of what it means to wait on the Lord actively, not passively. In your notes, the next point there is that to move from despair to hope, we must remember to praise God no matter how dark things have been. Now, this is, this is a difficult one. This is not easy. This is not something we say flippantly or lightheartedly. But we praise God for how he's carried us through the darkness. Why? Because that allows us to know that, A, he's always been with us. We see the breadcrumbs of his um, presence throughout our lives and the journey. 
but it also will give us the confidence to face the next trial because he's already come. And if we always ask, you always know kids or people who always ask for things and never thank people for things. It's that same idea of just more, 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 instead of just realizing, oh my gosh, I should just be grateful for what I've received already. The very act of praising God is tantamount and paramount to importance of being able to live out our hope in God. So we see this here, verse starting in um, verses 28 through 32. Simeon took Jesus, took him in his arms and praised God saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He says, you fulfilled your promise, Holy Spirit, saying I would meet the Messiah. And I know that it is this child that I'm holding in my arms. You can dismiss me in peace. I can now be with you in shalom, peace, in eternity, because I've seen and seen the promise fulfilled. But what we may not always remember is the fact that Simeon was holding fast to this hope when there had been hundreds of years in which God had not spoken to his people. That it had been a dark time in the lives of the Israelites. And it's something where you, you see the end of the Old Testament and even you, before that you hear Isaiah's prophecy about the, the Emmanuel God with us. And it's been centuries and the people would be saying, oh, is now the time when he's coming? And, and they probably had that active tiptoeing, ready to have a child kind of excitement and hope at first. But, but then as the generation is born and, and grows up and has more kids and then dies, and then that generation is born and grown up and has kids and dies, and then born and grown up and has kids and then dies, and then born and grows up and has kids and then dies. And that happens for generations and for centuries. Imagine the darkness and the difficulty and the, the despair of thinking, but we're God's people. Why is God silent? We're God's people. Why is there darkness? We're God's people. Why do we still experience despair? And that could be something that would have been really easy for so many people to hold on to. But Simeon is someone who gives us the example of someone who was saying, no, no, no. God told me that there's going to be a Messiah and I'm going to meet him. And so he can have that active waiting, that excitement about God coming or about the Messiah coming through the Lord. Levi Lusco gives us this idea. He says, at its most basic level, to have hope is to believe that something good is going to happen, that help is on the way, that it is not over yet. And no matter how dark it seems, there's going to be light at the end of this tunnel. So when we're in the midst of despair and pain and, and, and grief and mourning, yes, we have hope, but let us be clear. We know that we grieve as those who have hope, not as those who don't. But Levi Lesko says this somewhere else. He says, hurting with hope still hurts. When I'm talking about despair, I'm not saying that you're not going to have times of great grief and sorrow. I'm not going to say there that it's going to be Everything's going to be fine. What I'm saying is that we can still hurt and we can still have pain and it could be tough, but we need not give in to despair because again, despair literally means without hope. So even if our deepest moments of grief and brokenness, 
and there's just that tiny little flicker of a candle that shows us that there's hope. Even if that's all we have to hold on to, we are not in despair. We are not hopeless, but we need to cling to that hope in the midst of the darkness. See, when things are really dark, it reminds us of how it can feel like there's just no way out. And when Recently, our family watched uh, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe um, from the Chronicles of Narnia. We watched the movie together. Shaylin and I have been reading the books. And so you see this first picture of Lucy when she enters into Narnia. And you get to be able to see, like, just this beautiful winter wonderland. And it's just gorgeous. And she's, you know, blinking. Like, she blinks her eyes. And, like, you see snowflakes falling. Just this beautiful picture. And then she meets Mr. Tumnus, right, who's the fawn. And Mr. Tumnus and and her have a conversation. And he talks about how, you know, Here in Narnia, for over 100 years, it's always winter, but never Christmas. And he says, think of that. She says, that's awful. Because winter can be cold. It can be beautiful, but there's coldness, and it's it's tough, and it's a hard season, and all these things. Imagining a century worth of that without the hope that Christmas was coming, without the hope that there'd be an end in sight, but just the cold the loneliness and the oppression of being under, you know, in this case, a white queen or a white witch who was wanting evil for the people. See, then we start to see that through the course of the story that there's a moment where there's a sleigh bell that's chasing after them and the reindeer going and they're fearful, all four Pevensey kids, all of them are there and they're fearful that it's the white witch coming after them. And so they jump into this little area and they hide and, and Mr. Beaver comes out and he sees who it is and then he pops back up and says, there's someone who likes to meet you. And it's Father Christmas. That Christmas has returned to Narnia. Why? Because hope has returned. Why? Because the prophecy that there'd be two sons of Adam, two daughters of Eve in the story, or to come to free them from the reign of the white witch, that they're now those four kids. They're there now. But even more so, there's a phrase that Mr. Beaver says when they're having tea together, and it's a phrase that can help us remember even when we don't see things, even when we don't know what's happening, even when it feels like God has been silent for centuries. He says this, Aslan, who's the Christ figure in this story, Aslan is on the move. We don't see how he's moving yet, but we know he's moving. We haven't seen evidence that he's here, but we know that it's happening. That faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's being sure of what we hope for, what we long for, and it's being certain of what we do not see yet. Aslan is on the move. In your life, God is on the move, whether you know it right now or not. Maybe it's just the simple fact that you are sitting in a church service and you thought that wouldn't happen for years and yet you're here this morning. Maybe it's the fact that you're here and you come every Sunday morning, but you need this morning to hear the message of hope that Jesus came in to turn off the darkness of despair, to bring hope because he's the light of the world and you can rest in that hope this morning and have that anchor your soul in the midst of the storm that you are facing because Jesus may be in the storm with you, but he may be sleeping like he was with the disciples in Luke. And you you feel like, where are you? Jesus, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. And he wakes up. Storm, be still. He says, you have little faith. I'm right here. We may not see how he's moving, but God is on the move in your life. That winter is not forever. 
Because even if our entire life here feels like one huge winter, but we have the flicker of hope and our faith in Jesus, then we have a Christmas that is coming. We have the opportunity to have right relationship with God for eternity in heaven, in which the, the however many years the Lord gives us here on this earth will be just but a breath in the span of eternity, and that we're able to know that we have that hope that will withstand things here on earth, and we know that we have that hope that will open up the gates to heaven. And we could hold fast to that because as Simeon said, he knew the light had come, that the, the light of the revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of his people were here. Jesus was here as the Messiah, as the light of the world to turn off the dark of despair. Now, we know that God is on the move, but what does that mean for us? Because in the notes, it says, in order to face despair in the future, when difficult time comes, I'm clinging fast to hope now. Hope feels like a spotlight right now. But in order for us to face hope in the future, or sorry, face despair in the future, forgive me, we must hold fast to the hope that God has given us now. See, after he says these words to the Lord, he speaks to the parents and specifically Mary. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Imagine if we did a baby dedication here and we talked about how we are so happy this child is here. Your soul is going to be pierced with grief because of their life. You'd be like, whoa, won't you calm down, Simeon? Like, that's heavy. That's hard to hear. But here's what Simeon is telling us. He's preparing Mary for remembering that 30 some odd years from that moment, she's going to be looking not at her baby in the arms of Simeon or in the, in the rags of a manger. She's going to see her son hanging on a cross, nailed there for my sin, for your sin, for her sin, that she's going to see him with blood soaking down and have his just, just with a crown of thorns and an utter brokenness for what I've done wrong, past, present, future, what you've done wrong, past, present, future, what the whole world has done wrong when we've sinned, past, present, future. And she's going to have a soul-piercing guilt that comes from the loss of a loved one and the loss of the Lord in that moment. And yet, Simeon is preparing her for that so that when that time comes, she doesn't just see her son whom she's grieving over. She can see the Lord her savior who carries her through the darkness of grief into the hope and the light of life. The life that God had that was a light to all people, that because of the light of the world, Jesus, darkness can't overcome it. See, we recognize that there's a symbol that we see in the scripture, through Hebrews 6 specifically, that talks about an anchor Jesus being the anchor for our souls. Levi Lesko says it this way. The symbol of the anchor is powerful because of what it stands for, hope. The book of Hebrews speaks of the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast in 619. 
That's a game changer. A boat that is anchored can be battered, but it won't be moved. Because of Jesus, we have hope. And because of hope, even in the midst of the worst storms of this life, we have an anchor for our souls. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians, that we have treasures in the jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Per- <coughs> Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because of the treasure of the hope of the gospel. See, whatever you are facing right now, whatever storm you're experiencing, or maybe you're in a good season and you're doing well, but we all know that we will struggle at some point. We will have moments when the storms are raging, when the wind is battering us, when the rains are coming down and the floods are coming up. And and what determines how we make it through that is our relationship with God. Do we build our houses upon the shifting sand of this world and focus on the despair of the world around us? Or do we build our homes and our houses on the foundation of Jesus and his words? That we can withstand all that. That when we fix our eyes on the things around us of this world, we can despair because we see the wind and the waves. We get distracted and discouraged and disheartened. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, like Peter, who was able to, when he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, walked on water. But when he looks from the left to the right, that's when he started to sink. So if we fix our eyes on the Lord, we may be able to experience things we never thought possible and to have a hope that we never thought was imaginable. But no matter what we are facing in the storms in our lives, if we have this hope in Jesus, it anchors us so that we will go through the storm, but we need not go through it alone. We will go through the trials and the pain, but we have a Lord who knows what it's like to go through trials and pain on our behalf. And he is our high priest who knows what we have struggled with and he can experience or he can show us to experience that hope as well. The last point in your notes as we close this morning says that despair dwells on what we don't have. Hope dwells on what we have, but don't yet see. Again, if we look around us, we can despair, but let's fix our eyes on Jesus and we can have hope. But let's, let me go back to, I'm going to reread Luke 2, 22 through 24. We're going to go back to those three verses. Then I'm going to go back a little bit further in the Bible to Leviticus in the third book of the Bible. And we're going to tie this all together so that we could see the hope that Mary and Joseph had that they did not even see yet, but that hopefully we can see and tie into our lives or or make part of our lives. Verse 22 of Luke 2 says this. Again, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, quote, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. See, that's a real easy marker for us. We read a pair of doves and two young pigeons. That's an easy thing for us to look at and be like, sweet, Mary and Joseph brought their offering. Let's move on. But there's something important for us to glean from this section because we're going to look at Leviticus 12. And this is what Leviticus 12 talks to us about, about what the offering should be when you go to present your child to the Lord. Leviticus 12, six through eight. When the days of her pure kid, 
purification for a son or daughter or over. She is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. He shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Why is this important for us? Well, one, it shows us that Joseph and Mary were not rich. They weren't able to afford a lamb in order to bring as an offering. It shows us that God came down from the riches of heaven into the rags of a manger to, to a people that were poor and that needed the hope that came from a relationship with him. But what it also shows us this is that they could look and be like, ah, we, this is the Messiah and we don't even have a proper offering to give. We, don't even, we can't even present him with a lamb offering because all we can afford are these two young doves or these two pigeons. And, and how is it that we can look at all these other people that they're bringing babies that, that aren't the Messiah and yet they have all the things that they want? Because again, despair can cause us to look at the things around us and compare rather than looking at what the Lord has us and to praise. And so they could, she, they could look at this and be like, we don't have enough. How is this? What are we going to do? But they bring it together. But here's the point I want us to take home for this idea that they could have despaired about what they didn't have. But what they could do now is hope in what they had, but they did not see. Because what you would present as a sin offering or an offering in this case would be a lamb that was without blemish, a year old lamb that would be able to take away the sins of your life. And so what did they have? They thought that they were just bringing two young pigeons or two doves and that's all they could afford, but they were bringing the one true lamb, the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And he was, she was presenting them before the Lord. Simeon got to receive this and say, this is the one who brings hope to the Gentiles. This is the one who is the glory of Israel because he's the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world so that you you and I can have right relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. They did not know they had the Lamb of God in that moment, but we know it now. And if we take hold of that and we allow and receive and believe what it is that who it is that Jesus is, the light of the world, and we receive him into our hearts and we believe that it is true, then darkness must flee. Doesn't mean we won't struggle, doesn't mean we won't have hard times, doesn't mean we won't grieve, doesn't mean we won't mourn, but it means that we do all those things with hope hope. We do all those things not alone. We do all those things in the storms knowing that we have the storm calmer in our side. We do all those things knowing that we have the anchor for our souls holding us firm in his arms. And we recognize that again, they presented the one true lamb that would end all of those lamb sacrifices for all of time. Because Hebrews talks about how you know, people would have to keep bringing sacrifices over and over, but Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to be able to bring us to God. That you and I don't need to present lambs anymore. Because Moses and, or sorry, Mary and Joseph brought forth their son, the Lamb of God, God's son, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of our lives, to give us hope. And if we, in this Christmas season, our hope and by that, I don't mean wishful thinking. I mean confident expectation. Our hope is that each and every person who hears my voice would have a renewed sense of the hope that we have in Jesus. 
Because as Timothy Keller says, until you find your meaning in God, your life will be always winter and never Christmas. There may be good times in our lives. It's not, again, people who don't know the Lord can still be happy. They can still have good things and they could look and be like, yeah, no, th- I-, I don't need Jesus right now. Things are good. But when despair overtakes us and darkness surrounds us, to whom do we turn? Is it our money? Is it our possessions? Is it our career? Is it our status? Is it our popularity? Is it our sins? Is it our vices? Is it our hurts, our habits, our hangups? What is it to whom we turn? Because if it's anything or anyone other than Jesus, then that will not satisfy. That C.S. Lewis talks about how if we've been made with a drive or a need for hunger, or of hunger, then there must be food to satisfy it. If there's a drive in us to be able to rest or whatever it may be, then there must be a way to satisfy it. If we have been created with a drive for eternity, this world cannot satisfy, which means we must be created for another world. And it's that hope that we could hold fast to because if we only go through this world only for ourselves or only for our own good or only with our lives as the center, then it might be a great time for a while, but it's eventually going to feel cold and lonely and always winter without the hope of Christmas, the hope of the Christ child, the hope that Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and the hope that we can believe and receive right relationship with him and experience eternity with heaven or in heaven with God. You know, I want to close with just this last idea that when I was younger, I went boogie boarding, and I remember um, I was going on a wave, and there was a time where I crashed down, and, and I remember crashing, and then in that moment, right after the crash, you, you kind of tumble around, and you don't know which way is up and which way is down, and I remember trying to, trying to get up where I, the way I thought was up, but there was something that was holding me back, or I wasn't able to get up out of it, and it was, it was my boogie board that had landed right on top of me, and, and I knocked it off of me, and then I inhaled this big, deep breath, right, when I was just so thankful for the ability to breathe. Well, Levi Lusco tells us this. He talks about how what oxygen is to the lungs, that way that we need to draw deeply of that breath. What oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to our survival in this world. That we need to draw deeply of the hope of life, the hope of the gospel, the hope of Jesus. And we, he talks about how in Philippians 2.27, Paul is talking about his friend Epaphroditus who was sick and nearly died. And, and Paul said, I'm so grateful that Epaphroditus didn't die because then I would experience sorrow upon sorrow. And Levi Lusco breaks this down a little bit. And he talks about how sorrow upon sorrow is, is a specific term. It's not just, oh, extra sad. It's the idea of waves that crash over and then another crashes over and another wave crashes over in the midst of this grief. That when we experience grief, it's like a sorrow upon sorrow. And, and there will be times where we're ready, we're facing the wave, and we're like, we're ready to come forward, and you jump into it, or you lean into it. And there's other times where unsuspectingly, we turn our back, and that's the time when it's the loss of a loved one, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a child, the loss of a job, the loss of friendships. That's when it knocks us over, and it feels like it's sorrow upon sorrow, and then we just have these things crashing over us. And... This is why we need hope. Because Levi Lusco says, when you have hope, 
Gale force winds can blow and tsunami waves can smash into the whole of your life. But you are buoyed by the belief that the best is yet to come, that brighter days are ahead. Hope quietly tells your heart that all is not lost, even as storms rage. Our hope is a living hope because Jesus lives forever. And so as we close you may be experiencing this moment, a moment of, or season of sorrow upon sorrow, of grief and loneliness and pain and despair, wave after wave crashing upon the, sh- the hull, the ship of your life. And if that's you, I hope and I pray that you take heart of the fact that you have the storm calmer right there with you, but we need to believe that he is who he says he is. We need to receive him as our Lord and our Savior, and we call upon him, and he can save us from the storm. If we're grieving, doesn't mean that we get over it after a season, that the pain somehow just stops. It might cause sorrow upon sorrow and wave upon wave in different times. But Each time a wave crashes, the despair might be that boogie board that's trying to hold you down, but all we need to do is cast that despair aside and to breathe deeply of the hope that we need to survive in this world. Because if we take hold of the hope we have and we recognize that Jesus is who he says he is, he came to take away our sins. He came that we may have life and life to the full, not just that we would die and go to heaven, but that we would live and share heaven to those around us and that in so doing lives and eternities would be changed so that even when the darkness surrounds us, the flickering flame of hope may be all we have. But it's in the darkness that we realize that It may be all we have, but Jesus truly is all we need. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And we pray, Lord, that you, God, I pray for your hope to rest upon this place and those listening (coughs) online. God, I pray that instead of sorrow upon sorrow, that there would be hope upon hope that is pouring over each and every person in this room. And as we sang earlier how... You give life, you give hope, you are light in the darkness, God. Now we sing that you are the hope of our lives and you are the one that brings us this hope. We come and we sing longingly for our Jesus who we are expecting. Just as Simeon and the Jewish people were waiting hundreds of years, God, we are anxiously waiting with active participation and waiting for you to come and for you to work in our lives and for us to be able to praise you for what you're doing and to be able to face difficult times knowing that we are not alone. And that you are the hope that anchors our soul in the midst of the gale force winds and the tsunami waves. God, may we hold fast to you. And may we hear you say that you love us and you are with us. And that the storms would calm. That we draw close to you and know that hope is not wishful thinking. But it's prayerful trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.